Welcome, listeners and Dunker Punks across the nation. I want you to look around you right now, wherever you are. Are the people around you of the same race as you? Or are you a minority in the setting where you listen today? Take a moment to think about all your settings. Are they fully integrated? Or does one race have the majority most of the places you live and work? Please think this through while you listen to the music of Jacob Krause. I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. I don't want to be a goat, don't want to be ignorant, don't want to be blindfolded, I just want to be countercultural. be violent, don't want to have a vendetta, don't want to be vengeful, no. I don't want to be a soldier, don't want to be militaristic, don't want to help that cycle, I just want to be a countercultural pacifist. I don't want to be a racist, don't want to be a capitalist, don't want to be sexist, no. I don't want to pass judgment, don't want to hold grudges, don't want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open, I'm inspiration, I want to be like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mal. I want to be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk Belim, or Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but mostly, I just want to be me. We are back with a bonus episode for you from our friends at On Earth Peace. I'm Pastor Nancy Fitzgerald, co-host of this podcast with Suzanne Lay. We're excited to have Sarah Olam Minnick with us again. Sarah is Youth Peace Coordinator with On Earth Peace. Her guests are the Reverend Ann Dunlop, a street pastor in Denver, and Sarah Thompson of Christian Peacemaker Teams. Know that you listen with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us listen together. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah Olaminik, the Youth Peace Coordinator Intern at On Earth Peace, and I'm really excited to bring you part two of our earlier episode on structural racism, where we talked to Drew Hart and Shane Petty about how structural racism manifests itself within institutions of faith and within the Church of the Brethren. In this follow-up episode, we wanted to take the next step and talk a bit about what the work to dismantle racial hierarchy and oppression actually looks like in practice. 
So I interviewed Reverend Ann Dunlap, a UCC pastor in Colorado, and Sarah Thompson, the executive director for Christian Peacemaker Teams, and they both had some really great insights that I'm excited to share with you today. First up, I got to talk with Reverend Dunlap, who is an ordained UCC minister serving as a street pastor for racial justice and solidarity in Colorado, and who has been involved in social justice movements across lines of race, gender, and class for over 25 years. She was also recently interviewed for a book by Chris Crass called Towards the Other America, Anti-Racist Resources for White People Taking Action for Black Lives Matter. Okay, um, so Reverend Dunlap, thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this. Um, it's really great to have you here. Sure, thanks. So as a white minister, um, how do you see or perceive structural racism in institutions of faith? So we're going we're gonna to jump right in with the hard question. Awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in the church, and I've worked for the Presbyterian Church for a while, and, and also I'm now an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, so I've been around these very white institutions for a very long time. Um, I think one of the, the big challenges of institutions is that we don't understand that what we're doing is replicating whiteness. We think we're being good and faithful people, um, and we are. Uh, and at the same time, we don't understand that, that whiteness is something that like infects our, our brains. It infects the way we think about the world and what we see mm -hmm. and how we see it. Um, it affects how we see uh, bodies, how we understand otherness. It affects uh, what we think is possible, how we understand uh, goodness, beauty, and how we understand our place in the role to dismantle it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we don't we don't even know that it's something to be dismantled. And so we're right. just kind of on, just kind of going along, thinking that we're all doing the right thing all the time, um, with this kind of complete lack of awareness of what we're actually doing. And so I, I see us in, in our white churches just kind of repeatedly making that mistake um, over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I think that's one of, our, one of our primary challenges. I think also um, a second uh, challenge would be that how we understand the work for racial justice. And Jennifer Harvey is doing some really great work around this recently is thinking thinking that folks of color have have and white folks have the same work to do when it comes to racial justice work mm -hmm. and when it comes to dismantling white supremacy that that we all have it's just we're just not seeing each other right if we could just overcome our differences um that these are artificial differences that were imposed upon people and upon people's bodies um with a really specific intent and so the work uh therefore um, is different for white folk than it is for people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and that that work uh, requires us to really grapple with what power is and what kind of power uh, we have as white folks mm -hmm. and what kind of power we need to give up in order for, for all of life to thrive, um, not just white folks. Mm -hmm. um, Jennifer Harvey talks about that in terms of the reconciliation model where we all have kind of the same work. We just need to be reconciled to each other and everything will be fine. Um, and that that model has failed us over and over. And what she is advocating for, and, and I really like this idea, is the, the idea of reparations, a reparations model where white folk really have to have to figure some stuff out. And we have 
we have work that we have to do to uh, end our own complicity, to disrupt our complicity in how whiteness and white supremacism continues. Mm -hmm. I think another way that, that whiteness gets perpetrated in institutions is that, especially in the in kind of white mainline traditions, um, white more kind of might say liberal or, or progressive, and but it but I I've, I've seen this also in some of the trainings I've been doing with the United Methodist Women. Um, and also in my, my own denomination, you see this with white folks just in general, that when you say we work in these white supremacist cultures, that what people think of when they think of whiteness or white supremacism is like the KKK, right. um, the white citizens councils in the, in the South during the freedom movement times, you know, individuals doing explicitly uh, white supremacist things. And those things are actually, I don't want to say that they're, they're negligible, um, they're terrifying, right. but actually the bulk of what keeps white supremacism going is those folks in the middle, the massive middle, mm -hmm. um, who are unaware that this is a system that we're all participating in and which implicates all of us. And so consequently also calls all of us as white folks to, to do the work to dismantle it. Um, and so we want to see ourselves as, as good people. We don't want to think of ourselves as racist. We don't want to think of ourselves as, you know, well, I'm not the KKK. Well, right. of course you're not the KKK. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> um, but the problem of white supremacy is much bigger than, than the KKK. Mm -hmm. And so wrestling with what those systems actually are and what they're made of is, is actually a, a big task. There's a great mm -hmm. um, like list that I've seen um, online where like at one extreme is, is the white supremacist person mm -hmm. you know, doing those acts. And then at the, the, uh, the other is, I think it's like the abolitionist who's doing like absolutely everything in their power to disrupt white supremacy 100% of the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. And what we're hoping is like to get more people in movement towards that, towards that end. Mm -hmm. Um, and that really means like interrogating what happens inside of our heads, what happens mm -hmm. in our neighborhoods and in our schools, how policing happens, um, all different kinds of things. Um, and really understanding we're talking about like systems that function. We're not talking mm -hmm. about individuals and their individual behavior. So the fact that, you know, I have black friends, which I do, does not exempt me from the kinds of racist thinking that have been inculcated into my mind since the day I was born. Um, and so the work of like even examining how, how my thoughts get formed in the ways that I see the world, it's difficult work. Yeah. Um, it's a work of really a lot of grief. I think once you start to realize, once I started to realize, Oh my goodness. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I am, you know, I, I've dedicated my life to racial justice in many different capacities um, mm -hmm. since, I was a, since I was a teenager, but I have these racist things that happen in my head. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of stories that I think are valuable? Being in movement work, you know, like feeling like I'm the white person, so I have all the answers. Like I have to stop that voice in my head all the time. Um, because I, I actually don't have all the answers, um, but whiteness in this culture has taught me that I do. 
Or mm-hmm. if I don't have all of them, my answers are definitely better than the answers of people of color. Mm-hmm. And so to watch that happen inside my head is like, holy cow, you know, right. and to sit with the, the grief of that is like a deeply spiritual practice. Um, mm-hmm. And it ha- once you become awake to it, or once I have become awake to it, I see that that happens all the time. So how should the fact that white supremacy is so subconsciously ingrained influence our conversations around racial justice in our churches? Um, like, what is what is at stake for white people? Like, we, we, have, we have yet to kind of have that conversation mm-hmm. in, in faith traditions, I think, is like, what is at stake? Um, what is the what is the mutual interest for our collective liberation together? Mm-hmm. What is at stake in my soul as a white person? Um, when white supremacy um, continues to function? What happens to my soul um, when a black person is shot dead in the street by a cop Mm -hmm. um, for nothing or for, you know, even even a minor crime, Mm -hmm. right, Um, that a person may or may not have committed, (laughs) um, but most often for nothing? Like, what what actually is happening to us? within these systems, um, which is not, not the same question necessarily as like, uh, to say that like white people are oppressed by white supremacy. And so we have to get liberated from, from our oppression. That's not exactly because then, then white people get into the, like, like that moves us just right back into centering white people, mm, kind, kind um, of that victim, the victim position. Um, yeah. Um, so I do some, some work with an organization called Showing Up for Racial Justice, trying to have these conversations with white faith communities. Um, Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, is an organization that is explicitly about white people engaging other white people in the work for racial justice. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea of mutual interest, that value, um, that's a central value. Um, like, what is at stake for us? What is our role in the work of collective liberation? Um, and it's coupled with um, several other values. Um, go to the website, check it out. But, <laughs> um, but one of them is um, accountability through collective action. So it's accountability to people of color. So it's that reminder that in this work of collaborate, collective liberation and in this place of mutual interest that what we're trying to center is not whiteness and white people, mm-hmm. um, but the wisdom and the voice of communities of color leading um, the way for their own liberation. And mm-hmm. there's, and in their own liberation, we all get free together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as white folk, we have our role to do that uh, in the in that work. We have our role in that work. So you you were interviewed by um, Chris Crass for his book Towards the Other America. Do you do you want to talk a little bit about how um, that book kind of connects to some of the things we've been talking about so far? Yeah, so, um, yeah, Chris Kraft is this great um, white guy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Unitarian Universalist, um, been doing like, collective liberation work for, for a long time, um, and he interviewed a whole bunch of us this summer, white people um, who have been doing uh, the work of racial justice um, in different capacities. Um, and then this fall, he collected them um, um, into this book that is really intended to be like an inspiration and an encouragement um, 
and an encouragement to action. So, so we, we hope that, um, you don't just sit down and, and read it and well, that's nice, but you sit down and you read it and like, Hey, I could do one of these things mm-hmm. or, Hey, this makes me think that I could, uh, you know, get my friends together and we could do X, Y, Z. Um, what can I do? What can I do next? Um, and even if you've been at it for a long time, um, maybe you're feeling a little discouraged because it's, mm-hmm. it's hard work. Um, so it, it just came out on the anniversary of the announcement uh, that um, Darren Wilson would not be indicted mm-hmm. for um, murdering Mike Brown uh, with intention um, mm. to release it on that day. So, so in your opinion, what makes the theme of the book important for institutions of faith? we can do uh, in, in white uh, faith communities is make lots of pronouncements, mm-hmm. which leads to very little action. And if we had the actions that actually backed those up, uh, it would be astounding. Um, so we're trying to like make those connections, mm-hmm. um, figuring out how to put feet and hands and hearts in, into those words, mm-hmm. bring them out into the streets, bring them out, uh, you know, in, into your, your spaces of worship, um, you know, and, and bring them to action. I had a friend say to me once, uh, if you hide, you will never know who your allies are. Mm. And it's easy as, as white folk to be afraid to step out. But when we do, and this is the place of faith, there will be challenges, there will be uh, obstacles, um, there will be lots of disappointments. Mm-hmm. But also, beautiful things can happen. You will find community in places you never expected it. And people will show up for you in ways that you didn't imagine. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that we lose as white people in white institutions of faith is that we have forgotten that we can rely on God, Mm -hmm. that we can rely on the divine, and that God makes promises to us and and she fulfills them. Mm -hmm. We forget this because the system provides us with most everything we need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could nuance that with, with things around, around class um, and poverty, for sure. But in many ways, um, for most white people, the system provides us for, with what we need. And it's very difficult to reject that mm-hmm. um, and to remember that actually God promises to provide us with all we need. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience has been turning onto that path. God actually does show up in that way. So rely on the resources of our faith and find the people who are going to do the work with you um, and do it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there's any way I could help, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, it's been really great getting to have this conversation with you. Thank you. I'm just encouraged to hear that there are more folks who are trying to do this work and trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. because we need to figure it out. So let's all figure it out together. So thank you. Once again, that was Reverend Ann Dunlap. And if you're interested in downloading Chris Crass's book as a free ebook, you can find it at chriscrass.org slash books. You can check out Shirt Surge or Showing Up for Racial Justice at showingupforracialjustice.org. And if you want to stay in touch with Reverend Dunlap, you can check out the UCC blog, New Sacred, which she writes for, 
Uh, find her on Facebook or use her Twitter handle at Fierce Rev, and that's Rev, R-E-V. Next, I got to speak with Sarah Thompson. Sarah is the current executive director of Christian Peacemaker Teams, which is an organization dedicated to training teams of peacemakers as hard for peace as soldiers train for war. There, Sarah works on fundraising and friendraising, undoing oppression within the organization, and on organizational development. Um, hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Wonderful to speak with you. So during your time, or as the executive director, how do you see Christian Peacemaker teams involved in work for racial justice? As Christian Peacemaker teams work alongside grassroots leaders and community coalition that are nonviolently resisting the lethal oppression that they are facing, we recognize that oppression is not only in Palestine, not only in northern Iraq, It's not only what's happening to First Nations folks in Canada, or not only against farmers in Colombia, but that violence and nonviolence run through the heart of each one of us. And even though external violence is being expressed there in very intense and nearly debilitating ways, the infrastructure of violence is also inside each one of us Mm -hmm. and shows up at times in nearly debilitating ways. And so if we are going to address violence out there in the world, we must also address violence in here inside each of our hearts and minds and ways of being that we have also inherited. Mm -hmm. So Christian Peacemaker teams began to notice that as we were accompanying communities in their work, and documenting human rights abuses, we also saw that we, in some of our attitudes, were perpetuating the type of violence that we were seeing outside. And it has to do with thinking that maybe we knew better what to do or that it would depend on us, especially, uh, to help stop this violence. And uh, we as we noticed that, realized that we needed to check our whole organization for ways that the organization was perpetuating these types of ideals. And so the first thing that we did was we took a hard look at all of the areas of the organization through an audit. Drew Hart mentioned in part one um, a thin definition of racism and a thick definition of racism. And what we were looking for is a thickness that helped us understand why why our thought patterns and why our organizational structures looked the way that they did and how that was influenced by um, whose voices we uh, had at the table and we understood and whose we didn't. So um, looking at that thick definition, uh, we noticed that some of our training curriculum and um, that our steering committee structure and that our kind of motto of getting in the way did not leave room for the visibility of and the power and life work of the people that we were we were invited to work alongside. Mm-hmm. And so our new mission of building partnerships to transform violence and oppression recognizes that in the transformation of these structures of internal violence and external violence, we need each other. And mm-hmm. we need um, folks uh, who, who have a different angle on, on life than, than the one that has been created to be normal in the United States, for example. Uh-huh. 
this type of commitment to building partnerships has led us to be more integrated in the context in which DPT is working and bring on many more people who are local to that area to be a central part of the Christian Peacemaker team. So does the fact that CPT is a faith-based organization, that it is Christian Peacemaker teams, has that influenced the organization's perspective on um, issues of racial racial justice and working within communities? The fact that Christian Peacemaker teams is faith-based does influence how we understand the work of undoing oppression. I think even that construction, the idea of undoing oppression versus anti-oppression, anti-oppression work is very necessary and makes a difference and as it resists the violence. And I think the undoing sense recognizes that there is kind of a, a way that we are bound by by structural oppression, we're bound by racism, sexism, mm-hmm. heterosexism, Christian hegemony. And so that unbinding process is kind of... Um, model to some extent how uh, for for some Christians uh, that, that model of discipleship like it's a lifelong journey it doesn't necessarily mean that we will necessarily arrive somewhere but that there is a continual process of breaking all of the cords that bind us mm-hmm. except the one that binds us together into each other and to the divine so I think our faith based uh, model also helps us understand that it's not all up to us and that we can count on the assistance of and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we do this work. Another piece that it's brought in is that we recognize that, that people of faith are coming to, to their lives from many different angles. And in fact, Christian Peacemaker Teams is Christian identified, but we have multi-faith membership. And this is in recognition that God is leading each one of us respectfully mm-hmm. and that uh, the importance of deeply uh, finding ways that we can commune with one another and share this planet with people of different and similar truth claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what we want to see in the world, you know, a, a world of communities that embraces the diversity of the human family and lives justly and peaceably with all creation. This is our vision as CBT. And so we're looking at what does it mean to share this organization people of different and similar truth claims. Um, so did, I'm going to jump back to something you said a little bit earlier um, when you were talking about how the organization kind of had to audit itself um, and look at the ways that it was structured um, and how that structure was sort of perpetuating um, violence. So how have you seen or do you see structural racism at work within the organization itself? One aspect that we see is the accessibility of Christian peacemaker teams. The way it is structured for a long time made it more accessible to people who were coming from communities that understood their work and supported their work. And this was a lot of the historic churches um, for peace, Quakers, Southern, Mennonites really value what is coming from those communities, but as those communities are predominantly white, mm-hmm. um, in order to uh, broaden out this, the structures of, of support and make PBT accessible, we found a number of, of ways that, um, that that there wasn't, well, let me stop real quick. Um, the foundational communities of PBT have uh, populations that are majority white, and so they have structures that support uh, the life and well-being of all people, but primarily, but primarily function 
uh, for white folks. Mm-hmm. And so we had to uh, really listen to and wrestle with what could make CPT as an organization for people of color to be in. And one of the main ways is if white folks in the organization are committed to doing their own work on dismantling white supremacy in their thinking and their ways of being. Mm-hmm. And so that means in our training we have to address uh, racism and how it functions in the world and the ways in which uh, white people have been told how reality is and, and what stories they know. And then also for people of color, we have to work on our internalized racism, the ways in which we have taken in the culture of white supremacy as it relates to either-or thinking, as it relates to perfectionism, Mm -hmm. as it relates to modes of communication, Mm -hmm. as it relates to given assumptions, as it relates to how we dress and present ourselves. There are so many ways in which... um, the, uh, the culture of white supremacy can get in and even to our peacemaking communities. We have mm-hmm. questions around formality and informality. Um, that can, you know, we might think, oh, that's just someone's personality if they dress more formally or they dress more informally. But actually there are, you know, really different consequences. Uh, for me, as a young woman of color, if I'm dressed more informally or more formally mm-hmm. based on how seriously people may take me mm-hmm. and how I'm seen and whether or not I'm seen to represent um more than, than who I am or, you know, uh, things of this nature. And, and so one way that structural racism has, has played out in the organization, I think, uh, shows up is the relationship between U.S. people of color and international people of color mm. and whether or not there's space for both of us and our, our different lived realities mm-hmm. and how we understand our potential to collaborate or if we're competing for the same amount of white resources in mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the ways that you've tried to incorporate um, working through those concepts in the initial training? Okay, thanks for asking that. The way that we will work through the initial concepts within the training is that um, in the framework of the training, which is a month long, we foreground the work on undoing oppression. Many people are very tired by the last week, and so we don't tack it on there. Uh-huh. We put it in the second and third week so people are fresh and understand that it's that's a critical part of the work that they do externally to pay attention to their societal position and assumptions that they carry with it and um, things that they've had access to because of privilege mm-hmm. um, or recognizing what you haven't had access to because of your racialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also look at this intersectionally, which is really important. So uh, without dropping the centrality of the way anti-black racism functions, we also recognize that the experience of people in other countries, uh, Canada and around the world, can be somewhat uh, different. And so that's mm-hmm. where we are now, trying to figure out what a global anti-racism mm-hmm. uh, um, awareness looks like because... There are some really similar themes, and then there are some key differences in how people experience um, power and things of that nature and, and what it means to, to build power in their home context. It's important to keep to keep talking about these themes so that it's not only when a crisis happens or mm-hmm. when someone leaves team or when people get angry that we begin to talk about how these larger patterns in the world are influencing how we think. Mm-hmm. So, so we're trying to talk about that often. 
um, helps to take away some of the adrenaline and, and crisis um, kind of feelings that many people who are privileged go through when we start to bring up issues of racism again. We're trying to um, cultivate an ability amongst the BTRs to, um, to have the chance to be able to have greater stamina for these mm. long-term conversations, which are not going away. And in fact, but with determination to see how our actions can both simultaneously mitigate external violence and, and internal violence as well. So it sounds like part of building that stamina is just being intentional about being self-reflexive. Would you say that's true? Yes. Okay. That's right. Being intentional about being self-reflexive is an important way that we build stamina for addressing undoing racism, undoing sexism, undoing heterosexism. Mm -hmm. So for people who are listening um, that are interested in becoming more involved with the work of Christian peacemaker teams or with supporting Christian peacemaker teams, what are some good ways that they could go about doing that? Everyone is invited to participate with Christian peacemaker teams. No matter what your faith background is, we invite people to who are interested in, in building partnerships to transform the violence and oppression that they see showing up in themselves, their home communities, or in places uh, other than that, to come mm -hmm. on a delegation with us. That's a two-week learning tour in which you can see the work of the team, mm -hmm. as well as see a context in which people are creatively, nonviolently resisting and, and building alternative uh, communities and alternative structures to kind of the, the white supremacist, petrochemical, industrial growth society of jazz, um, or whatever that's called, that we're seeing. So they're invited on a two-week delegation to visit the work of the teams and the work of the communities on the ground. And after that, too, there's the opportunity, um, if you discern that Christian Peacemaker Teams is a way that you want to express your desire for wholeness mm -hmm. and power in the world. So it's a way to uh, participate with gutsy, bold peacemaking endeavors that are really experimenting with this question. What if those who believe in peace trained as hard for it as militaries trained for war? Mm -hmm. And what if we are willing to, to give it all for, for this cause, much in the way that we you know, expect soldiers to. But we want to really celebrate the life and work of, of peacemakers and how that happens in many multifaceted ways. And so another way to get involved is to uh, donate to Christian Peacemaker Teams. You can do so online. Mm -hmm. You can do a recurring monthly donation um, as a tithe or a way of sharing. And that, that really is important because um, we're building a movement of people who are willing to take action for peace. And we're participating as part of a larger global movement that, that really likes life here on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not a given, you know, and so mm -hmm. we want to, want to continue to, to build uh, that group. Um, well, thank you so much um, for joining us today. Um, this has been really great. Thank you for your efforts and your work, and with a lot of gratitude for the support of the Church of the Brethren over time, and we look forward to what might be possible to do together. And once again, that was Sarah Thompson, Executive Director of Christian Peacemaker Teams. If you want to get involved with CPT, donate, or just want to learn more about what they do, you can find their website at cpt.org.
So that's all of our interviews. We hope you've enjoyed hearing them and that you find the resources mentioned useful as you have these conversations in your home churches and communities. As always, if you have thoughts or ideas after listening to this that you want to share with On Earth Peace, we would love to hear from you. So find us on Facebook or you can email me at youthretreats at onearthpeace.org. Thanks for listening. Are we not really seeing each other? Now my daily question will be, who am I not seeing? Sarah's interviews have left us well informed, and now it's time for us to become well aware. If the Spirit of the Lord is on us to set the oppressed free, then let's commit to really investigating what happens in our heads, our neighborhoods, and our churches, so we can put our feet and our hands and our hearts into action for liberation. You can start right now. When you turn off the podcast, turn off all your distractions with it. Shut down the computer or silence your cell. Put it all on pause. Take a minute to clear your mind and ask yourself a question that came to you as you listened. Let your thoughts focus on that question alone. Instead of an elusive, why is this happening? Ask yourself how. For example, how can I check my thought patterns and the values I live against the values Jesus taught? Am I living the values I believe in? Be completely honest with yourself. This part is for you alone. And write down your answers. Then take the next step and open a conversation with someone you trust and share your concerns about the way we live. Don't forget, it's not all up to us, Dunker Punks. We can count on the assistance and guidance of the Holy Spirit as we move to rely on God instead of the systems that skew our consciousness. The Holy Spirit is visible and active in the Dunker Punk movement. I'm so glad you are a part. The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaboration amongst a dozen or so contributors who, with Christian Peacemaker Team, believe in training for the peaceful way of Jesus as hard as militaries train for war. I am Nancy Fitzgerald, and I produce the show with Suzanne Lay, who edits the audio, and Jacob Krauss, who makes our music. We need each other. Get to know each other by actively engaging on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dunkerpunkspod. Tweet us your thoughts at dunkerpunkspod and add us on Snapchat. We're dunkerpunkspod there too. Share the show page at arlingtoncobb.org slash dpp and you can subscribe on iTunes. This podcast returns in two weeks when you'll hear from Dylan again for his first regular episode on gender identity and expression. Another opportunity for intentional self-reflection of our perceptions to build stamina for undoing the isms that oppress. Now, may you be blessed with the discomfort of our Jesus who calls us to leave blindness and to see everyone around us as our sister and brother. Countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. <laughs>